1033 The Goat. Yeah, that's the one. K277 DQ Lafayette, 1420 KPEL Lafayette. Download the free 1033 The Goat app now. Right now. You've got mail and the very latest sports news now. Did he say what I think he said? 1033 The Goat. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Great Scott Show on a Tuesday Jay Walker will be in in the 8 o'clock hour before he gets on a plane to head over to uh, West Virginia where Marshall will host Louisiana tomorrow night on the gridiron. We'll talk about that matchup this morning. John Hendricks, Sports Illustrated, Saints lead writer. He'll talk to us. We'll talk Saints football with him coming up. Got a guest from Golf Brew as well. Monday night football last night. That was entertaining. It's like filet mignon. Where is that Thursday night game between ugh, Denver and Indy was like a $2 steak from a truck stop. It was fun last night. Entertaining football game. And most of the chatter online was about a bad roughing the passer call and Devontae Adams pushing a cameraman. Not like violent push just you know a little little light shove to a cameraman following the game which he apologized to online that's not me i'm sorry i feel horrible sorry okay the game itself though game itself was very entertaining and if you look at the game as a whole that's all the nfl really cares about See, all of this chatter about an awful roughing the passer call, and it was bad, and the Chiefs still won the game anyway. It was a really bad call on Chris Jones. After that, per Warren Sharp, in the final 30 minutes and 17 seconds of the game, the Raiders were called called for eight penalties. Prior to that, they only had three. And some of them you were like, yeah, I don't know. Whether it be makeup calls, whether it be a team getting screwed over by an atrocious call, the NFL does not care, and they never will. And if you didn't learn that from the 2018 NFC Championship game, then you never will. You won't. Oh, Tom Brady, the Falcons got screwed. They didn't really. I mean, it was a regular sack. How are they throwing a flag on that? Then all your talking heads talk about it, and they make jokes, and everybody on Twitter is talking about it, and everyone is talking about the NFL. And until bad officiating impacts the finances of the league and how much money they're bringing in, they will never change anything. You got media talking about the NFL in 24-7 sports talk cycles. You know who loves that? The NFL. 
Let's pretend to argue over some call. And you've got fan bases swearing that they're the ones that get screwed every week. I mean, you had Bucks fans after that ridiculous roughing the passer call in Atlanta. Well, it was sort of a pass interference the play before. When it is an absolutely egregiously bad call or lack thereof, Bill Vinovich, that POS, then yes, it does get more discussion. Did anyone outside of Louisiana not watch the Super Bowl when the Rams played the Pats? I mean, I didn't. But did it really impact the NFL's bottom line in a big way? The egregious, nefarious non-call. No. Will a roughing the passer call on Tom Brady that shouldn't have been a roughing the passer call last Sunday impact the NFL's bottom line? No. Will a roughing the passer call last night on the Chiefs, which was followed up by a half of really, you could say, uh, an overabundance of penalties against the Raiders, impact the NFL's bottom line? No. It won't. I always hear the complaints of, oh, you got a billion-dollar industry, and they still like to use chains and note cards when a measurement's close, and refs running around with chains, and the, and the, the eye deciding where the ball should go or marking a spot on the play, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You would think that with all this money they could do. You would think that with all that money, They would do something if it impacted their bottom line. If it doesn't, yeah. I mean, heck, they were willing to have replacement refs for three weeks because they didn't want to give the, quote, good refs a raise. And if you remember the fail Mary, Minnesota, uh, Seattle, Green Bay, and all, and how bad it was to start out the 2012 season, I mean, if you think this officiating is bad, my God. They were willing to roll with that for like a month. Betters didn't know what to do with it. They had no idea. They're like, well, it's hard to hard to kind of put up betting lines here when the officiating is this bad. Who knows what's going to happen? Oh, really? Oh, we're only a year coming out of the lockout? Yeah, let's go ahead and just pay these refs a little more. These refs that make bad calls every week, atrocious calls every week, or lack thereof. Well, there's no accountability. Jerome Booger, well, I saw a player for Atlanta grab a quarterback and throw him to the ground. You mean he tackled him? But he, this is what we do. We talk about it. The NFL gets spotlighted. There are memes. There are jokes. There's coverage. There's profit. They got to do something. They might as well play flag football now. They don't even play football anymore. Da da da. I'm never watching the NFL again. Yeah, right. I had a quarter for every time someone told me that I'd be rich. Well, I'd be really poor in comparison to the NFL. Because as many people say they're not watching it anymore, and maybe you're listening and you actually did quit watching it, although I don't believe you if you say you did, good for you. You're in the minority because the numbers keep going up and the money keeps going up and the officiating keeps getting worse. And the NFL is not going to do anything if it impacts the bottom line. They should have microchips and footballs. If they ever do that, it's only going to be because it helps the bottom line. 
It'll have nothing at all to do with, well, we just figured this would be the best way to do it. And how is a microchip in the ball going to help you with whether or not a knee is down when you have cameras at a goal line and a guy's trying to run in for two points and you can't see the ball and you see his knee down somewhere, but there's five bodies everywhere. These aren't going to fix things. The NFL knows that, and so they're still just going to roll with what they have until it impacts the bottom line. If bad officiating equaled bad ratings, equaled advertisers not getting what they paid for and the NFL having to give money back to their TV partners, then they would do something. You and I and everybody that you know that watches football knows that's not going to happen. It's not. I mean, that'd be like saying, you know, let's, if you're of age, let's not drink beer while we watch football. You know, that's never going to happen. There's certain things, there's certain elements. There's certain elements of football that are just always going to be there. Speaking of beer, one of my favorite things, I admit, I enjoy it. We got the golf brew coming up. You've been hearing the ads for it. You've been hearing us talk about it a little bit. We have a guest in right now. Tell us a little bit for a few minutes about the uh, the golf brew that is coming up. Now, first of all, let our listeners know, um, Sam, a little bit about yourself and and golf brew. This is an event that's been happening for a little while. Absolutely, it's this will be its sixteenth year, which actually makes it the oldest craft beer festival in the American South. Wow, uh, right here in Lafayette. I I remember I did uh, a friend of mine years ago did some video uh promotions for commercials and asked me to do the voiceover and i was you know i was younger at the time and he's like look man i can't really pay you but i can give you tickets to it i'm like deal <laughs> and uh i, beer, I had beer a in lieu time. of payment is wouldn't be the first time yeah. that'll happen <laughs> yeah yeah or beer in the form of payment yeah. but uh the golf brew tell us about it when it's coming up and um you know how folks listening if they're they're in town and, and of age and want to get involved and want to check it out. I recommend it because I've gone a number of times and I've oh, yeah. never had a bad time. I've always yeah. had a blast. And, and even if you've been before, last year we really reformatted the event. We uh, brought it back downtown. It had been in Blackham Coliseum before, but we kind of busted it out. Uh, so we shut down Jefferson Street. We do it really as a street festival format. Uh, there's 14 different brew stops along the route. You get a wristband, a hand stamp. Uh, it shows you're 21, and you can sample from more than 200 different kinds of craft beers uh, unlimitedly uh, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., and it's on October 22nd, which there is an LSU game that day at 2.30. But uh, you can get the VIP lounge ticket and actually uh, you know, watch the game from the James Devin Munkus Theater inside the ACA itself. So if you're not going to the game itself, it's a pretty good option uh, to catch the game right in the middle of the event. Uh, from the theater on the biggest screen, as we say, uh, but it's a great time. It's you know it's pretty family friendly too, uh, because you know it's not it's not just people who have a hand stamp who are walking the streets. We've got crafts vendors, we've got families, we got a family activity zone. 
Uh, so there's really something for everybody. There's even a designated driver experience since we really want to you know, thank and acknowledge our designated drivers. Uh, for $10, they can taste mocktails up and down uh, Jefferson Street at participating restaurants. So it's a great deal for them and just a lot of fun for an afternoon in downtown Lafayette. Supporting a good cause, supporting the Acadiana Center for the Arts and uh, and all the work we do in public education, bringing uh, art and dance and theater to young yeah. people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Golf Brew, downtown Lafayette. You heard Sam say it, October 22nd from 1 to 5 p.m., mm-hmm. uh, Folks listening, they want to be just, they want to get a ticket. Maybe they want the, the VIP, as you mentioned. Maybe they want to be a designated driver. Where can they go and and, and get tickets, learn more about the event and, and how to be a part of it? You can get tickets right on ACA's website, AcadianaCenterForTheArts.org, or just by Googling Golf Brew. You can find us on Facebook, find us online, anywhere where you can find information. You'll where, find just, us. just Google Google will help you find Absolutely. It, it usually go. does. What's your favorite beer? Uh, well... I've recently had uh, the Parish Brewery's uh, Rev Coffee Stout, which with this cold weather turn was a pretty good taste for me. I'm ready I'm ready for a nice cool fall, and that stout beer kind of got me there. Sounds heavy. It's a little heavy, it's but, heavy. Uh, but you know, it's definitely like a limit two. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, you're not, you're not, uh, it's a little different than light beer. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not a, a Michelob Ultra situation. It's a stout. Which, yeah, it's a stout. It's, it's a, a stout. stout. It's a stout. No, that's good stuff. I like a good um, clean lager. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I used to drink some of the heavier heavier things and IPAs and mm-hmm. darker beers when I was younger. But, you know, as I've gotten older, and I'm a diabetic, so I kind of mm-hmm. I kind of lean more toward I don't want it like super light. I want to I want to taste it, you know. Yeah. I like to enjoy the beer, not just because it's beer. I like to enjoy the taste of it. But Absolutely. with Golf Brew, you get to try all kinds of different absolutely and we actually have you know breweries themselves come and participate directly so there there will be the brewers and representatives from uh pretty much every louisiana craft brewery and then breweries from all over the country That's as awesome. well so yeah. you can really you know if you want to nerd out on beer they'll be there too as well as our great uh home brewers association the dead yeast society uh, which always throw us some curveballs every year. So that's always a lot of fun. Good stuff. 2022 Golf Brew in downtown Lafayette, uh, October 22nd, 1 to 5 p.m. Uh, ACA's website, AcadianaCenterForTheArts.org. You can learn more. You can get tickets there. And you can come in lieu of tailgating for the 4 o'clock uh, Raging Cajuns game, too. There you go. <laughs> uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. Before before the kickoff. There you have it. Uh, it's going to be fun. A lot of stuff happening. Sam, man, thank you for coming in. And uh, looking forward to another great year with the golf brew and 16 years and counting now. Oh, yeah. Keep it rolling. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everybody. Enjoy it. Drink responsibly. Have a lot of fun. Uh, We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, I'll be joined by John Hendricks, Saints writer from Sports Illustrated. We'll hit on the Saints. And if he agrees with me about all of the nagging about NFL officiating is only helping the NFL's bottom line. It's all coming your way on The Great Scott Show. This is 103.3 The Goat, simulcast on 1420. It's The Goat, the greatest sports talk of all time. Don't let someone get your goat. There's plenty to go around for everyone. 103.3 The Goat, the greatest sports talk of all time. Bye. 
my God. That's John Hendricks' music. Saints lead writer and reporter for Saints News for Fan Nation and Sports Illustrated. Video host for Boot Crew Media. Friend of the program. A Lafayette native. Como grad, if I'm not mistaken. And a man who can appreciate the sweet sounds of the Beastie Boys. Here to talk some Saints and uh, other football with us this morning. John, good morning, my friend. How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm doing well. And yes, I am a Como grad. They just had their 20-year reunion. I could not make it. <laughs> well, you've been busy. You've been busy covering the Saints, man. Um, before we, we dig into the Saints, let me ask you about the chatter, some things that I was hitting on my show uh, earlier this morning about in regards to the NFL officiating. Now, you don't need to tell a Saints fan that, you know, NFL officiating is poor and has not always uh, benefited the Saints. Um, although, I would say this past Sunday they were on the right side of some calls. But in general, you know, they, they seem to be on the wrong side. And, of course, the most nefarious non-call of all time that impacted, uh, you know, who was going to play in the Super Bowl But my thing is, everyone complains. How does a billion-dollar industry not do this? How do they not improve that? How do they not do this? And my answer is always simple. It doesn't impact the bottom line. It doesn't impact them financially. If anything, you know, you could argue that it helps them. It keeps them in the news. It keeps people talking. Everyone's talking about Tom Brady and, oh, my God, and now it's flag football now, and how could they do this everyone's, you know, but like how many people actually care that the Falcons got screwed in a regular season game? And and I'm not saying that to tease the Falcons. I just, in general, like they might care for a little bit or they might say, well, they have a right to be upset. And then Bucks fans will say, well, you know, the play before there should have been a PI and blah, 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 blah. I mean, last night it's like you got the, the, the roughing the passer call on the, on the Chiefs, which was a horrendous call. And then in the second half, you know, the, the the refs threw a lot more flags than normal on the Raiders. And you could, but my point is, you, the more you dig into it, the more it gets talked about. And I think, ironically, the more it just helps the NFL in a weird way. And until it impacts them in, in, in the bank account, they're not going to do anything about it. They'll say things, but they're not going to actually do anything, are they? Yeah, no, I agree 100%. It's it's all lip service. That's why I laugh when I see these pool reports because, you know, what is, what that is is basically you have a, a, a appointed uh, member of the media that meets with the official and you talk about the rulings and such, and there's never been a point where, like, yeah, we screwed up, we got this wrong. I mean, even for the no call, you know what I mean? It was all just a it, – it's kind of like a politics game. And so, I mean, the thing is – you can't talk about the officiating if you're a player or a coach because you're going to get fined. You can't disparage it. And these are guys that are typically not necessarily full-time employees and such. So it's just it's something that continues to be broken across the NFL, and there's just literally no accountability. I mean, at worst case, you're just not going to call a playoff game. I mean, that's just kind of the equivalent of the discipline there. And, you know, players are – even find more for getting into it with official uh, than they are with other calls like roughing the passer and such. I mean, look it up. It's, it's a substantial fine when you talk about the officials, but this is something that continues to be broke. I'm glad that more people are trying to have more awareness, but again, if it doesn't affect the bottom line, like you said, it doesn't matter. They're going to keep going. They'll give some lip service to say, Oh, we'll tone it down yeah. a little bit. Yeah. We'll do all this other things, but we've seen other leagues put in the sky judge to make sure they get the right call. But look, it's uh, it's, it's going to be another thing when another team gets screwed in the playoffs 
because of some erroneous call, and then maybe they'll see about trying to do something. But I'm glad more people are piping up because that's the thing, is it needs to happen and put some pressure on the NFL, who's a billion-dollar industry and cannot get this right for the life of them. Yeah, it, it, it'll, it, people will get mad and angry, and then they'll all watch the next playoff game. You know, I mean, it's just it. it, And to your point, I'm not suggesting that the NFL will come out and say, you know, we don't care. Although they don't, they from PR standpoint, the NFL will always overreact to something in terms of perception, and then they just go back to what they do. You know, I mean, the Tua situation was so ugly, and then they redo the you know with the the concussion protocol. They make changes to it. They just did it in the moment. And if that game had been at noon and not on nationally TV on a Thursday night, I don't know that they would have. It was a reaction, and then they're reacting to, oh my God, a quarterback got hit. He got thrown on the ground. Let's throw a flag. They do all of this. Teddy Bridgewater, no concussion symptoms, no nothing. Let's pull him out of the game after the first play. Clear concussion protocol, everything. Well, he kind of was. He moved his knee a little bit when he stood up. So, and now teams will probably overreact to that. And and O'Lyman is just going to pick up a a quarterback after a hard hit and hold them straight so that they don't have to force them to check out. And then in a couple of weeks, it'll just kind of be what it is. And then they'll just, and and we'll have forgot. We won't have forgotten about it. We'll just put it in a different place in our brain. And then we'll all just be watching the game and commenting on the game as it is, rinse and repeat. So the, the complaining. Dare I say, John, it just, in, in an odd way, it just helps the NFL with their bottom line. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. is It's always going to bring that national attention. You're going to have people that continue to talk about this, and it's going to just keep going this way, right? And, I mean, you got people that will write about it and do all these types of different things. But, look, you know, it's kind of hard when you you got players and coaches who can't really say what they want to say because those calls matter and those things do matter. And, again, the Saints have been on – on the wrong side of it, you know, they've been on somewhat the right side of it, but more so the wrong side of it. I mean, there's penalties that happen that just change the entire course of the game. And I get other people like, well, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. But those types of plays, those, I mean, you, you can't explain that to 53 players who are getting paid millions of dollars, all this other stuff. At some point, something's got to give. But, look, it's it'll be a, a, an increased hot button because I'm telling you, those two rough in the passer calls that they've done, I mean, you and I both know we've watched 80s, 90s football, I mean, 2000 football. These guys are probably laughing at home and, and some of the hits. I mean, could you imagine a Mike Singletary or somebody like a, a, a Reggie White hitting a quarterback like that and then getting a penalty now? I mean, it just wouldn't fly. No, no. It, 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 any of the – I mean, there's a clip going around about Brady in his second or third year getting hit and, you know, he – Got his helmet knocked off, and he was trying to roll out of the pocket, and it was just a good, clean hit. Now they, you know, they probably suspend the player for a year. Um, it, yeah. is, it is different, but we, you know, we watch it. You know, I mean, it. I, I always see people threaten. Oh, it's flag football, or this or that, or I'm not going to do. And then, you know, I, I see them, you know, the next week tweeting about some game they're watching. Even they're complaining, they're watching. So the only way to get real change in the NFL is to impact the pocketbook. That's not to say that 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 you know, uh, Gail Benson was satisfied with what happened in the NFC title game in, in twenty eighteen. Of course she wasn't. That's not to say Arthur Blank was cool with the call on Sunday. Of course he wasn't. But it has to impact the checkbook of all thirty two owners or thirty one plus Green Bay to really make anything different. And until then, we're just going to complain. We're going to watch, rinse and repeat. Um, you know, the Saints on Sunday, I, I thought they were, you know, they were they had some good calls in their favor. 
Uh, and people could talk about the the Seattle, you know, should have been a first down. Guy went in the neutral zone. Okay, whatever. I'll give you it. But when you win, John, you don't talk about the officiating as much, do you? You just you talk about the good stuff. Um, Taysom Hill was he had all the goods. I mean, that was a career game for him. He was a heavy part of the game plan going into it, and I uh, I love seeing it, man. I think I, I told folks this past summer. And I got a little flack for it when they announced he was going to tight end full time. I said, "What are the Saints doing? Hey, what do you mean? I mean, why would they put him at tight end full time and not utilize him the way that they used to before they decided, you know, to try to make him quote the true quarterback?" Um, that and then you know, once training camp started, Dennis Allen cleaned it up and said, "No, no, he's still going to very much do that." And I said, "That's a great thing. Look at the numbers. The stats don't lie." And Sunday was. It was the Taysom Hill show, man, and I think I think everyone was happy for him. I think it was a great part of the game plan. I don't know that we'll see it this week or the week after. We'll see a little bit of it, but what what, what was your biggest takeaway from Taysom Day on Sunday? I, I think the biggest thing is, I mean, yeah, it's the one focal point, but just getting the ground game going. Like this uh, offensive line has had some opportunity in pass protection you know, this whole entire season, but getting the ground game going, getting guys like Andres Pete, who I know fans are like, oh, I don't really care for him, but you see his value. I mean, he's made some good blocks. He's our Ruiz is doing good. I think it's encouraging to see this offensive line just come together a little bit more and just be able to open up those holes in those lanes. And look, <laughs> when you get a guy like Taysom Hill just being able to, to power it through and, and you know it's coming and they still can't stop it, I mean, that's that's really exciting football to see, right? And so – you know, not only that, but Alvin Kamara having a hundred game. I mean, this is the first time they've had back to or two one hundred yard rushers in the same game since Buffalo in two thousand seventeen. And I think fans remember that everybody was having success there, right? And so, you know, again, it's it's good for Taysom. You know, I I remember going back a few, or you know, before the season started, they talked about his role and his vision. And you know, I think when it comes to tight end, one of the things Dennis Allen had said is, you know, he's He's not exactly where they wanted him to be in the tight end area, you know what I mean? And so they're still going to find ways for him to affect the game because that's what he does. You see it on punt rushes, you see it in a kicking game, you see it, um, you know, whether he's running routes. I mean, this guy does a lot of things, and people were getting so upset or they were made all this stuff about the contract. They were so silent. I didn't see one saying anything, but they can sure criticize him when it doesn't work, but – Look, it's a good weapon to have, especially when you didn't have Michael Thomas, you didn't have Jarvis Landry, you lost Chris Olave. I mean, they were down to, to Keith Kirkwood, you know what I mean? A guy that they just picked up off the streets in, in London and had to roll him into the game. So real good stuff to see from Taysom Hill. Excited for him. I think he can have more success too. But, you know, teams are going to look out for it. I don't think you're going to say a Bengals team is going to be like, well, he's on the field, so we definitely know he's going to run it this time. I think what to appreciate is the fact that he can pass it, and it looked good when he did, even when the Seahawks kind of did a little bit. So I think it's it's a good way to unlock it for Pete Carmichael and Taysom Hill, just seeing that type of stuff. John Hendricks, our guest. It's a great Scott show, 103.3 The Goat simulcast on 1420. It was a... Um, just a, a game that you mentioned the the receiver injuries. I mean, when when you got Keith Kirkwood, who you know some folks didn't even know was back on the team, but you know, <laughs> signed signed off the street. You know, he wasn't even on waivers anymore. He's just out there to be a practice squad, and now he's having to 
play significant snaps and catch passes, and I imagine there'll be a number of receiver roster moves this week. But, man, John, it's like going into the season, you're like, well, the Saints added a lot at corner and at wide receiver. It's maybe as deep as they've been at those positions in a long time. And now here you are entering week six, and you're really, really thin at those positions. And I, I think that of all the injuries that we that the Saints have dealt with and that we've talked about this season, from obviously Jameis Winston, but to Michael Thomas, Kamara missed some time, and we could go on. The most significant one, I think, might be the one right now to Marshawn Lattimore. And yeah, I agree. I, I, I we don't know the severity of it yet, but you know, guy lands on his stomach. You've had injuries there. Adebo has he's had moments, John, but he, I I would say he certainly has not lived up to that. Oh, training camp hero. Uh, he's going to be great this season and miss time early with an injury. So Alante Taylor's on IR. PJ Williams is on IR. You're getting thinner there. But Lattimore, man, I mean, you're playing a Cincinnati team that just has all kinds of weapons in the past game. And uh, if he can't go this Sunday, I think that's the most significant injury to date this season for the Saints. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you know, I think Marcus May is another one just because you see some of the confusion in the safety position, too. But, you know, again, you said it, it's the whole entire secondary, the, the wide receiver group, all of that was strengths coming into the season. And just to not have these guys in is, is really tough. And, and Lattimore, again, lockdown corner, you know, he had a, a really good bounce back game after Justin Jefferson did really well against him. And, you know, look, that is the thing is that he might, might have one of those games, but he's going to bounce back. And so, you know, the play itself is, is doing more than he should have had to done on the play. And, you know, just trying to help his team out and lands awkwardly. He goes into the medical tent and uh, he comes out a little bit and, and looks like he's trying to walk off whatever it is, goes back in and then eventually goes to the locker room. And so, <clears throat> again, it's something to pay attention to. You know, Wednesday we'll get our first look at, at the team. I'd be surprised if Lattimore's there, but, you know, it's one of those things that is going to just depend on how he feels going into it. And, you know, look, I, I think if there's a, a chance where he's, you know, less than 75%, he's not going to play, um, you know, just because that's kind of how the Saints have, have operated, just like what Dennis Allen has said is that, hey, you know, this is a 17-game season. You know, they don't want to rush players back or anything like that. So I think that Lattimore could fall into that bucket. But, again, it's premature. That's the one weapon that you don't want to lose because, again, you had you know, Paul Sanzibo who had struggled a little bit in his, his return, if you will. And I, I think he'll be okay. I think he'll find his footing. But they need elite corner play, so they would basically have to have Bradley Roby there, and then uh, on the other side, or Chris Harris Jr., who who got rolled into that game, and then you have to worry about who's going to put in the slot. So you might have to move a Justin Evans if you get Marcus May back. So I mean, there's so many moving parts and pieces right now in the secondary, but losing Lattimore uh, when you got Jamar Chase and T Higgins and all those weapons that Cincinnati has, and a team that's very desperate to get a win. Man, it's a, it's a hard thing not to have your, your top premier corner out there. The injury cycle continues for sure. John yeah. Hendricks, our guest, unfortunately, for the Saints. Uh, and that's, to me, the biggest one so far this season. Um, with that, you mentioned guys not 75%. The Saints are typically holding them out. What, I know this is – you and I aren't doctors. We're just eyeball test all that. I mean, I know this is just a number that – doesn't have to be spot on. It's all just based on opinion and eye test. But what percentage would you say Tyron Matthew is at right now? Yeah, I think it's a little bit weird. Like, I think he's 
is probably more like the 85, 90%. And I just think there's been back-to-back plays. Like you look at the, the business decision made against DK Metcalf. He started slow against the Vikings the other week. I mean, this is just one of those things where you know the capabilities are there, but for the life of me, I just can't figure out what's, what's holding them back or what's going on. And, you know, look, I think there might be some other things that are going on there, you know, without getting too much detail that may be playing at play here, um, you know, off the field type of stuff. But, look, they need him at an elite level. And there's plays where he can make those. I mean, again, you talk about a turning point in the Vikings game. I mean, it was because of his interception. He can do really good things. Um, and it's just one of those things where I think he'll find it out. And I don't think there's an area where, you know, you say you're super concerned at this point. But, look, it's got to be better because um, you can't go – out there as high as uh, paid as a safety you are and make some of the plays that he's been making. Yeah, and he's, I mean, what's always made him great is that it looks like he's playing with reckless abandon, but it's not. It's all calculated. But what I mean by it looks like it is just how fast he plays the game. I mean, his football IQ is through the roof. He's usually in the right spot, and he's not holding back at all. He's not making, quote, business decisions, as you put it, to slow up or, well, I'm probably not going to make the play, so I'm just not going to make it at all. It's like, it's almost like he's thinking a lot out there, which I, I get the irony, like he is thinking because he has a high football IQ, but his what's made him great is that it never looks like it is. It always just looks like he's out there and, and, and it's just reaction time and all that other stuff. And, you know, it's he's great before the play and then he's able to make the play during the play. He's put himself in that position that just really hadn't been there much this year. It, 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 it simply hasn't. Yeah, look, and again, you know, you talk about the Vikings game. He talked to us afterwards, and, and, and he took ownership of the plays and knew that he didn't play the best he could. And, you know, again, it's, it's I guess, not entirely fair because you don't hear from him on his side of the story, right? You know, just like Marcus Williams in that tackle last year against Dallas, like you hear his side of the story and then understand it a little bit more. doesn't mean it excuses it, but – you know, give a chance, a benefit of the doubt of a player and a guy that, you know, look, they are very depleted there and maybe he didn't want to try to take a run because they didn't have a P.J. Williams. I mean, they had Daniel Sorensen and they're already rolling in Justin Evans. I mean, there could be a whole lot of things behind it. But, you know, it, 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 my whole thing is if you would have tried, could you have maybe knocked D.K. Metcalf off balance? make him fumble in the back of the end zone. I think that's the biggest thing to think about is that if you do make contact and hit him, what, you know, with, with your track history as a player, um, you know, could you have maybe affected the game there? And those are the types of things that I think fans probably a little bit more concerning is that, okay, when you don't do something like that, you know, that, that, that could have been what the end product is because you've seen it before, see him do those types of things. Cincinnati at New Orleans this Sunday, John. We talked a little bit about the matchup and what sense he brings to the table with their pass catchers. And if Lattimore is hurt, how much he could impact them. You know, the Saints are a betting underdog at home, and I, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, it was it was good to see them get a win, and yet, you know, there, there's still some issues with this team and the turnovers and and the penalties and. You know, I would say I was getting in an argument, an argument, a, a discussion rather, with a listener yesterday, and he's like, "You don't talk about the Saints' injuries enough, and you're, you know, you, you you say that their identity is to try to run the football, but if they were healthy, they'd be passing it more." And I'm like, "But they, it's not. If you're only focusing on the injuries, I think you're missing out on 
the other issues that are hurting this team right now. It, it, it goes without being said. Yes, you're, you're missing big players. It's going to impact you. It's going to change some things. You're going to have to maybe find your identity in different ways. And if they were all completely healthy on offense, maybe they would be looking different. But they're not. And at some point, they, they're never going to be. There's always going to be guys that are out. Um, last year, they just had so many injuries. They had more you know players start a game in, the, in NFL history than any other team ever. And it wasn't even week 18 yet when it happened so with that I would say last year despite all of that you still saw a team that was pretty disciplined a team that you know didn't beat themselves I mean there were games like the Thanksgiving game against Buffalo where they just didn't have a chance because they were running a JV team out there but it wasn't like you were like man they're just making a ton of mistakes you're like man they're just not that talented compared to that team because of who they have to play right now this year yeah, they, they've got some injuries, but I would say that clearly there is a difference when it comes to the discipline side of things. That's my take anyway. Now, you're there, you're at the facility, you're covering practice, you're in the press box. What's your take on the discipline of this football team right now? Well, I think there's a lot of things that go into it because, I, again, we talked about it in the media that, look, this team was 9-8 and eight last year with all the things considered and they, you know, you upgrade a lot of the talent. You think the continuity is going to carry over with some of these veterans and the guys that you add in and such. I think one <clears throat> underestimating the loss of Sean Payton is one of the biggest things there is, you know, just the way he had his team prepared and disciplined and such. And not saying that DA couldn't and can't do it, but, you know, it's just one of those that I think early on you say, okay, maybe DA is a guy that maybe trusts the veterans a little bit more to get this thing done. Um, and then the end result is they don't. And then you have to put in on the coaching to get it fixed, right? Because these players are, you know, you trust them, you trust the veteran leadership in this locker room to get it done. It doesn't get done, then as a coach, you got to step in. I mean, look at Brian Dabble in, in the New York. They, they, there's a reason why that team is doing so well because of good coaching. And so I think it fixes a lot. But, but the whole. At some point, they, this is why one of the reasons why they need to win Sunday is just because we had kept hearing from the players that we know how to correct it, we know what to fix, you know, we know we're shooting ourselves in the foot, all these other things, and you know, in, in essence, it should be as simple as well. If we don't shoot ourselves in the foot and turn the ball over, we should win the football game. And for all intents and purposes, that's kind of what happened. Is they, yeah, they did have two turnovers, um, you know, the interception and the fumble but they didn't totally kill themselves on penalties, although they did have a couple of drives. So even just limiting some of that, you see some of the potential that they can unlock as a, as a team. And I think that's obviously encouraging when you can do it without so many key players. But, but you know, this is a long haul for this team, and they're about to face some real meat and potatoes of their schedule. Um, you know, I have a, a good confidence that they could get back to 500, may struggle here a little bit um, with some of these teams that are coming in, but – you look at some of these opponents that they're facing, you can't tell me that they aren't beatable. You know, Bengals are one, the Raiders are one, the Cardinals are a beatable team. You know, I think the Ravens are, are one that probably gives them a, a bit of fits because they just don't do well against mobile quarterbacks like that. And, I mean, Kyler Murray could do that too. But, like, I think the pulse has just been, hey, we believe that, you know, all these self-inflicted wounds, it's on us, we can fix it. And once we fix it, that we can produce wins. And so – Step in the right direction, far from a perfect product that we saw on Sunday, but the encouragement and hope would be like, okay, now we're getting guys like Mike back and Jarvis back, and so we should be able to 
you know, not only be able to run the ball like we did with Alvin and, and Taysom, but now we can pass it too because we get our weapons back. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged to see it. I think if they would have lost, it would have been a much harder conversations in the locker rooms and things like that. But, you know, I think this team has got, got to see the fruits of their labor on, on Sunday. And, and, again, you got the Cincinnati team. They're going to have to do it again each week, and it's something they're going to have to fight for every week. John Hendricks has been our guest, Saints lead writer and reporter for Saints News for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated, SI.com, video host for Boot Crew Media, friend of the program, and uh, doing a great job covering the black and gold. John, man, I appreciate you spending time with us this morning, brother. All the best, and I know we'll talk to you again down the road, my friend. Sounds good, man. Thanks, and have a good rest of your show, man. You got it. John Hendricks. If you're not giving him a follow, do it. John J. Hendricks on Twitter. Jay Walker going to be in in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll talk MLB Divisional Series, uh, UL Marshall, have some Terrible Tune Tuesday and other things. The refs. Yeah, the refs. Refs getting a lot of chatter. NFL doesn't mind. I'm not saying they, they love it, but I'm telling you they don't hate it. The bottom line. That's all they care about. Facts. 46 after the hour. I'm Scott Prather. This is 1033 The Goat, simulcast on 1420. Phone lines are open for you at 337 269 1077. If you want to hit uh, hit on anything, give me a shout when we come back. Um, why the media needs to leave some people alone and why there's a big irony to cancel culture when it comes to someone in the limelight saying something offensive. I'll explain next and tie it into sports. Don't go anywhere. It's the great Scott show on 103.3 The Goat simulcast on 1420 The Goat. Greatest sports talk of all time. Pardon us what we butt in with a little common sense. 103.3 The Goat. The greatest sports talk of all time. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, 103.3 The Goat, simulcast 1420. Whenever someone in the world of sports or pop culture is saying offensive things to get attention, years ago I probably would have shouted into the microphone about how bad they are and how wrong they are. And, And don't get me wrong. When individuals do this, they are. But I, as I've gotten older, I, I don't even really talk about it much because I just don't want to give the attention that individuals are seeking. And I know that my platform is extremely small in comparison to, to so many. But still, I don't want to do that. So what I'm about to do in regards to Antonio Brown is to make a larger point about how society reacts to it as opposed to specifically what he did. And if you don't know what he did, Lynn wrote about it on 1033thegoat.com, but he's now, you know, making fun of, of, you know, those with special needs and mental disabilities and, you know, taking all these different shots at Tom Brady and his divorce and doing all these things. You know, it was, was it last week he exposed himself to some 
individuals at a pool and was laughing about it and putting it on video and all this other stuff. What's ironic is when someone says, let's say someone in, in, in pop culture or the world of sports or whatever, someone of note, we'll say a celebrity, someone with a following, with a, a large microphone just because of who they are, says or does something offensive. And it's not perhaps with malice or, or, or hateful intent, but it is, in fact, over the line and offensive. They can be canceled immediately. They apologize, have remorse. Oh, well, they're only doing that because, you know, they have to or they got caught or they don't really care. That's what everyone says. And then and a lot of times these individuals are, in fact, quote, canceled. Cancel culture. But the irony is when it's an individual that does it continually and doesn't apologize and over and over and over, somehow they get more defenders. Somehow they get more attention. Somehow they get more coverage. It's the opposite of being canceled. I mean, the more... Offensive or ridiculous Antonio Brown gets things he says, things he does, the more attention he gets. He's not in the NFL anymore, but he's out there. He's in the vernacular. He's trending. People are talking about him. People are writing about him. That's the irony of cancel culture. Those that... claim to be gatekeepers, it's almost like they give more attention to the individuals that just go on and on and on about it as opposed to an individual in the limelight that says or does something offensive or considered offensive and then apologizes. And obviously there are lines to it. I'm not talking about, you know, way over the line or criminal things, just, you know, offensive or insensitive comments, whether it be a joke, whether it be a tweet, whether it be something they said. How dare you? We're canceling you. You're done. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I made a mistake. No, you're done. Meanwhile, someone else says it, does it continually, doesn't stop doing it, doesn't apologize for it, and they get written about, and they get more attention, and they get talked about more. And then people are suddenly debating whether or not they should or shouldn't defend them, and yada, yada, yada. Isn't that weird? Isn't that ironic? Cancel if you're sorry, but if you're not, we're going to keep talking about you. And that's the only thing I have to say about Antonio Brown this morning. And it's not so much about him, more about a larger point. Coming up on the 8 o'clock hour, Jay Walker is in studio. He will be getting on a plane later today with the Rage of Cajun football team. They are traveling to... West Virginia, take on the Marshall Thundering Herd. We'll take a look at this matchup about MLB divisional rounds. We've got Terrible Tune Tuesday and more all coming your way. Right here on 103.3 The Goat, simulcast on 1420. It's 103.3 The Goat, greatest sports dog of all time.
Well, we butt in with a little common sense. 103.3 The GOAT. The greatest sports talk of all time. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show on a Tuesday. And the man is here. Jay Walker in studio before he hops on a flight today to head to Huntington, West Virginia. He is kind enough to join us in studio. He can't get enough terrible music. I brought him donuts this morning. It's the only reason I showed up. <laughs> How you I, doing? I'm, do, I'm doing fine. I, I actually didn't know if I was going to be able to come in today because, it, you know, it's, I've got... Um, couple of things that i need to do before i go to the airport and i said well wait a minute i I can go ahead and make this work so well i appreciate it baseball really i I didn't talk a ton about the wild card with the exception of yelling and being angry yesterday on Uh a 10 minute rant about the metropolitans who um really lost that series before they played it getting swept by the braves the week before it, it it sucked the life out of them. They San Diego is forty two and three all time at City Field. Hugh Darvish has always owned them. I mean, people were like, well, "I mean, come on!" It's so you lost to the Braves. You can still do this. I was like, guys, it's it's not good. And yet, I still sat there and I watched the three games, and uh, I was just disgusted Sunday. There was never a moment in that game where I'm like, okay. You know what? Right. They're gonna. It's good. It's gonna happen. They're gonna turn around. There was never that moment. Son. From the first inning on, when the Padres got two in the top of the first, it was like, gosh, it feels like this thing's over with. Slow torture is all yeah. it was. And 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 you know, look, San Diego. They've got Darvish and Snell and Musgrove. It's not like they got a bunch of plugs on the mound. Those guys are good. And um, and I'm still trying to figure out how the Dodgers beat them fourteen out of nineteen. And I think 14 out of 19 does not guarantee they're going to win this series. Well, you'll certainly fare better than the Mets. I promise you that. So the Mets win 101 games. They're done. Meanwhile, teams like the Phillies and the Braves, teams Mets fans don't care for, are still playing. And they'll play today. They will kick off the divisional round. Uh, Baseball around noon gets started. You got Fox, TBS, Fox Sports 1 airing a bunch of games today. Four games outside of Dodgers Padres, where you have a rooting interest as a Dodgers fan. What's the series that you think will, whether it be you think it'll be the most competitive or you're just most interested in? What's the other series that has your attention? None of them. None of them. I'm, you know, you don't think they're going to be good or you just don't care? I think the Braves and Phillies have a chance to be good because the Phillies are playing well. Um, I don't think the Guardians can score enough runs to stay with the Yankees. The Guardians pitch well, but man, they they struggle to score runs, and uh, they're going to struggle to score runs against Garrett Cole today. I promise. Exactly, you. and 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 you know the the Mariners have been a nice story this year, but there's a, a reason why they finished what twelve games behind the Astros. So I I don't know. I th- I think. 
the only chance you have for an upset is San Diego and the Dodgers. I, I don't think the Phillies can beat Atlanta. I don't think the Guardians can beat the Yankees. And I don't think the Mariners can win against the Astros. Why do you think San Diego could upset? Be- because LA? they can pitch. Cleveland can pitch a little. Yeah, but Cleveland really struggles to score runs, whereas the Padres are capable of scoring runs. Now, the thing that the Padres pitchers have to do is try to hold down the Dodgers' offense because the Dodgers scored more runs than anybody in baseball. They have a largest run differential of anybody in baseball. They also have the best ERA of anybody in baseball. There's a reason why they won 111 games. They've just been the, the the interesting thing about about to me about divisional series is the teams that have been cruising for a while, and Houston, and New York and L.A. have been cruising for a while. Now the Braves they they were they were fighting to win the NL East, so they've they've been playing for some. But when you've been in cruise control for a while, and then can you just turn it on? Yeah, can that sense of urgency? That comes with playoff baseball happen when you're playing teams in Seattle, Cleveland, and San Diego that they've they've been fighting for a while to get into the playoffs and they were in and then they're coming off of a series. Now, maybe you had to use your starting pitching. I get all of the player disadvantages, but the mental side of it, I'm always like, man, is there an upset or two in game one of these series before Possibly the better so. team just figures it out and and but now the thing just turn it on. The thing that the Dodgers have going for them is is They've set their rotation, okay? You know, the Padres have got to throw their number four guy. Yeah. And and the Dodgers are going to throw Urias. Against who, Clevenger. Yeah. Urias is pretty good. Could very well win the Cy Young Award. ERA champion in, uh, in the National League this year. And and he's he's very good. Um, so we'll see. I, I'm... Uh, you know, Mariners are going to run into Justin Verlander today. And, uh, you know, the Braves have got their rotation set. See, that's the thing about the wild card round in the the way the, the, the thing is set up now is the team that gets a bye really has an advantage. Now, you can say, oh, yeah, but they've had time off. Are they going to be rusty because they've had a week off? They're still going to have their number one guy in the mound today. And, um, and the other guys aren't. But then... If you get deep in the series, then their number one guy is going up against not your number one guy. And if you drop one of those early games because you're still kind of waking up, then it can kind of bite you in the butt. It, it makes it in a five a game series. In a five game series, you're going to throw your number four guy twice unless you throw one of your better guys with with less rest. If it goes deep, deep if it right. goes deep, so you know, I I still think that there's a big advantage for the team that didn't have to play. No question. I mean, you'd rather have the buy than not. Trust me, I know yeah. that. Shit. And 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 and, and you know me. what? There's a reason why they have a buy. They earned it. I, I got nothing against Cleveland. I kind of wanted the Rays to win just because they've been able to give the Yankees fits before, and it's a familiar foe. I mean, Philly, Atlanta being real familiar with each other, San Diego, L.A. It when you're playing someone in your own division, it it does give it a little bit of a different feel. Oh, absolutely. Tom Hamilton, by the way who does the uh, radio for the Guardians, had a great call of that home run. It was like, boy, this guy's a pro. Yeah. He was off. He was awfully good. Yeah. Liked it. You, you think it should be best of seven instead? No. You well, like I don't like the best of five format because I do think it gives the underdog a better chance. That's what I'm saying. Um, 
But, man, now that you've expanded the wild card, I mean, you know, look, as it stands now, the seventh game of the World Series, if it goes seven, is on the 5th of November. That's a little late. Yeah. Somebody's going to get the nickname Mr. November, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. Remember they tried to give Jeter that nickname the year that uh, they lost to the Diamondbacks because 9-11 pushed back the season. Right. Uh, And... Maybe you would have got it, but Game 7, you had the big unit, you had Kurt Schilling, and it was just Arizona's year. That was that was a great year of playoff baseball, though. That was a great World Series. It was a great Game 7. It really was. It really was. We'll, uh, we'll see what kind of moments we have this weekend. No big-time notable moments aside from, I guess, Cleveland getting the solo homer in a 15-inning game. Um, Seattle coming back from as much as they were down – St. Louis kind of blowing into the ninth. I, I shouldn't say no moments. There were some memorable moments. I guess my question, Jay, is are we going to remember wild card moments when all is said and done? Um, only if one of those teams jumps up and wins the whole thing. Yeah. You know, if the if the Guardians get to the World Series, we're going to be talking about that 15th inning home run, by the way. Here, I don't understand this. I don't understand how all season long you play extra innings with the ghost runner and then the playoffs come and you don't. Don't get me wrong. I I, I don't like the ghost runner. Okay. I don't like it. I never have. But if you're going to do it during the regular season, you got to do it in the playoffs too. Explain to non-baseball listeners what the ghost runner is. If you, um, if you go into extra innings, when the 10th inning comes, the guy who made the last out in the ninth is put on second base. And then you go ahead and play from there. And uh, if that guy scores, it's an unearned run, but it, but the run still counts. And it keeps you from playing 15 innings of scoreless baseball. And I'm not a fan of it because to me that's not baseball. That's the international rule for softball. It's stupid. But I, um, but I think if you're going to do it during the regular season – you got to be consistent, and they're not doing it during the playoffs. It's stupid. It is. It's a stupid rule. I agree. I mean, I'm glad they're not doing it, but they shouldn't do it at all. Um, Gary Cole, when he he got the strikeout record, you see that moment in the locker room? Uh. Uh-uh. He got a call from Ron Guidry. Well, I no, I knew he had. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, they, they 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 I put it on the website last week, but um, one of the goat.com. He's in the locker room, and then they they pull up a phone, and Ryan Guidry's on there. And Cole was very um, responsive. He thought it was a really cool moment. Ron had the locker room laughing with some joke about watching a game on his phone, and he's like, "Yeah, I do know how to work a phone, guys. I mean, I'm not that old, haha." But uh, it was it was cool, man. I mean, I, the Gator. I mean, you've you've been in New York City with Ron Guidry before, and you've seen oh yeah how. When they realize it's him. I mean, he's like royalty up there. He still is. And and he's always going to be, I think. But no, you're right. And this was, I don't know, eight years ago now? Yeah. Um, and it was it was the day that, uh, or the weekend that uh, Maddox and Glavin and Frank Thomas and the managers were all inducted into the Hall of Fame. And it was a Thursday. We got off the subway and we were meeting Ron at um, at his favorite restaurant. And he's standing outside waiting for a cab to pull up with his daughter in it. And, and there were two guys that, that walked past, and Ron smiled and nodded, and they got about three steps past him, and then they turned around, and the guy screams, Oh, my God, it's Louisiana Lightning. 
And they weren't talking about you, Jay. No, they were not. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, phone lines are open for you this hour until we get to TTT later, but uh, 337-269-1077. If anyone wants to jump in, you can email me, scott at 1033thegoat.com. Uh, should I get you a, a number seven Saints Hill jersey? I mean, would you wear that around? Is that no? Is that is that an? Ex- I mean, I remember you wearing a Breeze jersey back in the day. Yeah, yeah. What does it jersey. take to get Jay Walker to wear a, a player jersey? You got to be like a goat to get a, to get Jay to wear a jersey. Do you have to be a goat? No, I think you got to be somebody who's going to be with that team a long time. I don't think Taysom's playing anywhere else. Well, he's been there a minute, but he's, he, but he's, you know he. But you also got to perform on a consistent basis. He screams to me a guy that will probably be in the Saints Hall of Fame one day, and other people will be like, "Why or what?" But a guy that means something to a specific fan base, yeah, because of how they played and. As opposed to your overall accumulative stats or whatever, you know what I mean. Like right. he's he's one of he's like a folk hero, I think. And he had he had a moment on Sunday that was a lot of fun. Man. I if there's one Saints jersey right now that I'd have, it'd be Demario Davis. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. He's uh, and he's a Sunbelt guy, which is kind of cool. He's great was I mean he was good at Arkansas State, but you see certain guys. Get to the pros and they can't figure it out. You see other guys get to the pros and it's almost like they unlock something else. Yeah. At some point, I mean, he was good in New York. He spent a season in Cleveland, but he unlocked something later in his career, and it's 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 truly remarkable. No, I love the I love the dude, man. And he didn't get enough credit for how I mean the guys and Cam Jordan for that matter. I mean, these guys are from a foot in their thirties from a football standpoint are on the much older side, and they don't miss games. Like, they're Ironmen. They don't miss – Cam Jordan's missed one game to injury in his – well, not even to injury. He missed, he missed the game uh, because of COVID. Like, to be in the league a dozen years and play that position and, and people – it's like, well, he doesn't get hurt. No, he gets hurt. He just plays through some injuries. But he doesn't get that hurt where he has to come out. I think when a guy gets that next big contract and is still playing through all their injuries, that's a, that's a warrior right there, man. Um, Amen to that. And, and, you know, Taysom in a lot of ways is a warrior. And I know he gets hurt. I mean, obviously he's trying to break people's faces when he, he's running the football. But um, plays through a lot of injuries, does whatever he has to do to get out there. and It's good for the Saints to, to finally get a win. And I agree with all of that. The Cajuns taking on Marshall tomorrow. We'll take a look at this matchup. We'll take a look at the numbers. Take a look at the Sun Belt a little bit. Where are they at heading into this October week? in the college football season. All that and more, plus Terrible Tune Tuesday later this hour. It's the Great Scott Show on 103.3 The Goat. Simulcast on 1420. I'm Scott. That's Jay. It's a Tuesday. We're right back after this. Liquor and whores. Liquor and whores. The cigarettes and dope and mustard and bologna. Liquor and We don't talk trash. There is no team in the National Football League right now more 
Ellen than the Dallas Cowboys. We chew it up and spit it back out. 103.3 The Goat. Three, three, the goat, the greatest sports talk of all time. Simulcast on fourteen twenty. Scott Prather, Jay Walker. We talk baseball, little Saints. We'll do TTT coming up, but uh, Jay Louisiana versus Marshall tomorrow. Marshall leads the Sun Belt in rushing. I thought the Cajuns against South Alabama did a pretty good job um, of slowing down their rushing game. I think. In terms of keys to the game, there's a lot of them, but I think this one might be at the top of the list. Yeah, I, you know, you got to slow down that running game. Uh, and, you know, the, the Marshall on the other side of the football is only allowing 70 yards a game rushing. Uh, they're very good against the run. And, um, you know, you've got to make this a low-scoring football game. And the best way to do that is to um, slow that running game down and make an inconsistent quarterback beat you. That's it. I mean, both teams are going to say, all right, the guy under center, try and beat us. Mm -hmm. That's it. And obviously, if you keep your mistakes down, you got a good shot. But, I mean, Marshalls, they're they're a tough – they're really good at home. They have been for many years. It's a tough place to win. They haven't lost at home this year. Granted, they they haven't played – um, you know, the, the most rigorous home schedule yet. But, you know, the Cajuns are coming here with a losing record. They're going in there with a losing record. They've lost three in a row. They they need a win in a big way. Uh, and I think Marshall's going to say, look, we got some running. This uh, LeBourne, Galen LeBourne, the running back, This we want to feed him the ball. He's rushed for, I think, eight touchdowns this year, 731 yards. And I think from a, a defensive standpoint, the Cajuns, they've got players on the D-line. I think that's a big key here. And then, you mentioned try to make the quarterback beat you. Ben Woldrich, he's the guy this week. Yep. There's no back and forth. I mean, Coach Desermo told me uh, yesterday that Chandler said, how's Chandler doing? Chandler Fields. He said, he's doing all right. You know, he, he came to me and he said, Coach, I, maybe I shouldn't have played last week. And, you know, I, I at some point they realized that when he was out there and I guess Coach Desimo can understand that of a guy playing hurt when maybe they probably shouldn't, but they want to be out on the field. He did that a number of times. And more than once, as um, a matter of fact, yeah. But for Ben, you know, you're getting all the first-team reps. Um, you wanted the starting job before the season started. You lost out on it, but you've gotten to play. This is your opportunity, man. This is it. Go do it. This is it. Any other big keys to the game in your mind? 
Well, you know, I think I think the health of the Cajun running backs is part of it. You know, I you know he he said yesterday that Chris Smith would be a game time decision. I'm not optimistic that the guy's going to play. And so now, you know, you've got a backfield, you know, with with Cabote and Terrence Williams and Draylon Washington, and there's like no experience back there at all. Um, if Chris Smith can't go, and you know, when I hear he's going to be a game time decision, what I hear is he ain't gonna play. Now, Mike didn't say that, and I could be wrong. I agree with you, I but I don't. Ex- I don't expect to see him, especially when it's a hamstring thing. Yeah. If it's a matter of 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 pain, then maybe the guy does play, and but they're they're limited. But I I'm with you. I think when a we're we're projecting here, but when a coach says that, I often look into what is the injury, right? And with a hammy man, I mean, everyone kind of saw him pull up, and and he's he's just so valuable, and he was able to break off some long ones, something that had been missing from the offense this year, and we've talked a lot about the offensive line and you know, them assimilating as they get more experience and, and how it's impacted the games this year. Um, they're going to need to have their best game of the season. And, you know, I, I think I think a lot of it is going to if, – if, if Ben Waldrich has some time, because I think they're going to need to throw the ball, then I think the Cajuns have a good shot. If he is under duress a lot, and you saw him late under duress a lot against South Alabama, still able to lead a game-tying drive down the field, but it was like – it was kind of constant. I mean, he'd take the snap, and then boom, he was having to roll out pretty quick. Uh, if they if they give him some time tomorrow night, I think the Cajuns have a good chance to to get a win on the road. But if he's under duress a lot with no Chris Smith, then you're going to need to create plays in other areas. You're going to need to win the turnover battle and all this other stuff. You're going to need to do stuff on special teams. And, and Jay, special teams-wise, it, it has it outside of Eric Garrett has not been what we expected this year. Well, you know, we say that. And and really, I think what we're saying is we haven't kicked field goals every, very well. Chris Smith's had very few chances to return kicks because there have been so many touchbacks. Um, I think overall, the Cajuns have done a very good job of covering kicks. There have been a couple of returns that have been good by the other team. But for the most part, they've done a very good job there. I think what it boils down to is we're saying we struggle kicking field goals. I, I don't I don't know, like... I look at Reese Burns as all-American talent, and I don't know that he's he's played like that all season. And he hasn't played up, I guess, to the to what I expected. And now that saying that the the, the but, expectation but, was very high. Well, yeah, and it's it's it, he's still I think third in the league in net punting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's doing fine, and he's got half a dozen inside the twenty. He's he's doing his thing. What we haven't seen is the consistent forty-nine to fifty-five yard punt which we saw a lot last year. We haven't seen that. But other than that, he's he's been Reese Burns. Haven't seen that. Haven't gotten the return opportunities as much. And then the missed kicks. But those are notable for obvious reasons. And they were, you know, they were big. They could, they, they're going to loom large probably tomorrow as well. You know, last week in the in the depth chart, it said Almondaris or Stafford. And Almondaris came out and had the first kick. In fact, he kicked the entire game. This week's depth chart has it Stafford or Almondaris telling me that Stafford may get the first kick. I think for Almondaris, it's interesting. I, maybe they do a – I don't know enough about Stafford to know what his long kicks are like. I just know what I've seen. And I've seen him make short ones. I've seen Kenny make long ones. I've seen Kenny miss some short ones. I mean, we saw like the, the scrimmage before the season started. We saw the same thing there. Yeah, pretty much. 
we saw it on. There's a whole lot more going on that we don't see. I'm just telling you, when I have seen it, Kenny hasn't been as consistent on the close ones. He has kicked the long ones. I mean, if that last field goal attempt um, where he made, what was that, a 51-yarder? 51 yards, yeah. I don't know if that was a 31-yarder. He would have been the guy going out there after missing the first two. Um, It's a big part of it, and it's something to keep an eye on tomorrow night. Louisiana taking on Marshall. 6.30 kickoff on ESPN2 as always. Sync up the TV broadcast with the radio broadcast. You're going to much prefer to hear Jay Walker and Gerald Broussard along with Cody Judo from the sideline. You know, Cody does a tremendous job, obviously, not just with injury updates and talking to the coach, but when he's piping in here or there with something he's seeing down on the field and the timing of it, not talking over y'all, but piping in when he needs to and not doing it too much, just the right amount. I mean, he's he's one of the best sideline reporters out there. He does a great job. Um, looking forward to the broadcast tomorrow night. Pre-game begins at 4.30. Steve Peliquin and Richie Falgu have it for you. A Wednesday night game, and you don't really get the, the true bye week this year. It's just kind of a mini-bye here or there. You've been doing it for a while, Jay. What, what are your what are, what are for you as a a broadcaster the positives and the negatives of a midweek game in football? As a broadcaster, I don't think it really matters one way or the other. If now, if it's a if it's a Saturday Thursday, you got to you got to cram your work week into about three and a half days, you okay? Get a and couple and of those, yeah. yeah, and we have a couple of those. But if it's a midweek, I mean, a middle of the week game to where you have a, a weekend off before and after, that, that's not a big deal at all. Bottom of the hour, we've talked football, we've talked baseball, we haven't talked terrible music yet. We have not. By the way, got a text message. Somebody asking a question, valid question. So I'm gonna. They said, what does the depth chart say at center? Because David Hudson went down toward the end of the game. They do have Hudson listed as the starter and Burton as the backup for what it's worth. Good question. It was a good question. Good question. Yeah, it's interesting when you have, like, I guess the the Smith injury and obviously the Fields injury, you might not get as many questions or speculation about some of the other spots. I mean – They've they've lost some they've lost some key players this year. Well, and they've lost Marcus Wiseman. That's, that's, you know, they're starting nose guards. Sonny Hazard, one. by the way, is listed first this week, the nose guard spot. Not having Wiser will, will be big. And we were talking, we opened up the segment talking about, you know, the Cajuns D line. And Wiser's he's got a number of sacks this year. He's gotten after it, but he's been he's been pretty good in the run game, and I think as a whole, you know, that's a position. Just the D line in general, their ability to rotate guys in and out has been it's been big for him, and you lose one of the key players there. That's that's tough. Yep. And that is it for those of you listening via the podcast on demand. Uh, we are not able to air Terrible Tune Tuesday via the podcast for copyright reasons, but you can hear it each Tuesday live when Jay Walker is in studio with me. In the meantime, you've been listening to The Great Scott Show on demand on 103.3 The Goat, simulcast on 1420. The GOAT, the greatest sports talk of all time.